When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Future Brew right here on AmazingBrew.com. I am Vaughn Lozon, and we are back with some more Michigan football recruiting, as we usually discuss here on Future Brew. And with me today, Stephen Ostentoski. Sir, how you doing? It's been a, uh, a rain-filled, cold October day. It, it finally feels like fall, so how you doing? Doing all right. Doing all right on one hand. Uh, made my eight-mile run just before the recording of this a little bit uh, wetter and not as fun but you do go faster when you're not you know dying of heat exhaustion and it's not super humid so there's a there's some good and bad to it but uh the dog did not enjoy the first three miles I took her on the first three miles she kept looking at me like what are we doing out here and uh and I concur I don't know what I was doing out there it was not (laughs) wasn't the best time but uh hey got it done How's your Monday going? Oh, it's it's going, man. I have not even come close to eight miles today. In fact, I have yet to leave my house. Uh, it's just been one of those days where I've just been doing a lot of work and not a whole lot else. Um, so hence why we are here and uh, recording this podcast. And let's let's just get right into it, because we've, we've got uh, some interesting things to discuss here. But we're going to start today's episode uh, with a report from 24-7 Sports is Tom Loy, who runs the Notre Dame site on 24-7. And uh, this report is based around 2022 three-star wide receiver Amorian Walker, who is currently committed to Notre Dame, has been committed to Notre Dame for quite some time now. 
And uh, he's been a top target, big time target for Josh Gaddis and, and Michigan in this cycle. They hosted him on an official visit for the Washington game last month. And it sounded like they knocked it out of the park and talks of a flip began to make its rounds on the interwebs and, and the boards on all of the websites, uh, 24-7 rivals, all that stuff. But he has yet to do so. And he still is locked in to Notre Dame. He visited Notre Dame this past weekend for their game against USC. And allegedly, according to this report by Tom Loy, uh, allegedly told the Irish staff that he is going to stick with his commitment to Notre Dame, will not be flipping to Michigan or any other school for that matter. And in the event of that happening, in my opinion, at least, that would be a huge dagger for Michigan, considering that they have been going hard after him for months now. And it also in consideration for my opinion on that of why it'd be such a big deal. One of their other wide receiver commits, and I put commit, uh, quote unquote, you could say Tayshawn Trent, uh, the three-star instater. He visited Louisville this past weekend, and it's looking more and more like he will not be a part of this class, or at the very least, he is certainly looking around and considering other schools like Louisville. So if that happens, Michigan would just have one wide receiver commit in this class, and that would be four-star Tyler Morris. That would uh, certainly not be enough at the wide receiver position in any class, but especially this one. So Stephen, I think there is some legitimate concern here with this report. Um, that he won't end up flipping to Michigan, which is what the primary talks have been for uh, what seems like since that official visit to Washington. Um, My reason for that concern, typically if a flip happens, it happens shortly after something like an official visit, something along those lines to where something happens to where they're, they're in communication with the coaching staff. They go to the school, they see everything up close, usually a day or two after that. That's when, the flip would happen. Uh, a, a week came and went and there wasn't a flip. And now we're going on uh, a more than a month, about a month and a half and still has not flipped. And it was about a week or two after that. I really started to wonder to myself what the holdup was. And at this point, it, it just seems like his uh, commitment to Notre Dame still remains pretty strong. So if he does end up sticking to his commitment to Notre Dame, Stephen, in my opinion, this is a big deal. Michigan would have to make a move on someone else really quick. So what are your thoughts on how things are shaking out in this recruitment? Yeah, I'm generally with you when it comes to trying to flip a guy. You need to capitalize on that quick, especially the Washington game. Huge, huge atmosphere game. Uh, Michigan really obviously put it on Washington, um, rolled out the red carpet for Marion Walker. So if you're going to flip a guy, that's the scenario you need to do that as the weeks uh, trail on after that, you know, Michigan's continue to win and that only helps their case on um, convincing a guy to flip over, but it's not like Notre Dame has completely fallen off the map either. So those are kind of the things where if it wasn't going to happen after the Washington game and the further on the season goes, you would need to see more of a fallout from Notre Dame um, for me to feel confident that it would uh, result in a potential flip here. So I'm kind of with you the, the longer and longer on this goes, and it seems like both Michigan and Notre Dame will at least put together reasonably good seasons. Um, 
I don't feel all that confident. It's interesting because Sam Webb had an article on 24-7 saying that he was still very confident. And um, you mentioned the report from uh, Tom Loy uh, essentially saying, you know, the opposite. So it's hard to say who, um, you know, who's telling each of those camps different things um, because they are conflicting reports over the course of a couple of days. Um, so it, it's, it's hard to say, I think when it's in this scenario, right. It's, it, if it, if it were an uncommitted, uh, guy, then I think the projection would be, this is one that's probably going to go to the end. Um, since he's already committed to Notre Dame, you're probably looking at 70 to 30 at this point in favor of him sticking with Notre Dame and 30 would be the flip. So, um, he did say as a part of that report to Tom Loy, I believe that he is going to like shut down his recruitment one way or the other relatively soon. Um, he did uh, recently check out Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa, excuse me, for uh, an Alabama game. So that's another thing to consider. But um, yeah, I, if Michigan isn't able to close on Maureen Walker, which doesn't seem likely at this point, then you do kind of have to ensure that you keep a guy – uh, like Tayshawn Trent in your class because they have the same similar build, right? Six, four, around 200, 210 pounds. Um, and you would just be down to Tyler Morris as your lone wide receiver commit of the class. So um, it is a position in terms of like worry, right? Say you lose both Tayshawn Trent and um, don't flip a Maureen Walker. You can find wide receiver talent out there compared to, you know, like a high flyer defensive tackle or things like that. So I, I don't think it's the end of the world overall. And I do like some of the young depth on the wide receiver uh, position group for Michigan currently, but losing a guy like Trent, who, you know, I think a lot of people thought was pretty solid at this point, he still does have, you know, there's no crystal balls to say otherwise, but um, it just, it's not a good look. If you start losing multiple wide receivers, any of those bonds they form together as a part of that class, you kind of have to start over. And in the midst of a season, that's a tough ask. So overall, it would be more like creating work and they are the bodies like those six, four bodies at wide receiver. That's harder to replace than say like a slot back. So that is something to consider where you're just not going to find, um, you know, that, that stature of a wide receiver with that skill as easily as a smaller sort of jitterbug type. So I'd say I'm pretty concerned. Um, I was pretty, pretty high on, based on Maureen Walker's father's discussion on Michigan, I was pretty confident that Michigan was going to flip the switch, but I think this goes to say that, um, you know, you, you only know what you know, and behind the scenes, there can, you know, different levels of, uh, infatuation with a program holds different weight depending on who's giving that. And I think this is a case where maybe uh, Maureen Walker's father with a lot of the positive things he said, they can be true, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to turn into a flip in commitment. I, I, you know, I, I think that just depends on, on who from person to person. I think that's the case here where he's more, um, more gives positive feedback on each school rather than, just positive feedback on a single school that points towards a flipping commitment. So that's a long way of saying I'm a little concerned with the addition of the Tayshaun Trent um, Louisville news that I read. And, um, you know, you're, you're creating more work for a staff at a time of year. That's really tough to do that. Yeah, that's needless to say for sure. Um, Definitely concerned with the Trent stuff along with Amorian Walker 
Absolutely. I, I think it also might be uh, you, you bring up the conflicting reports from Sam Webb and Tom Loy, who I would anticipate that their sources are not only within Amorian Walker's family, including Amorian Walker himself, but also with the respective programs that they associate themselves with. Sam Webb, obviously being a stellar uh, reporter for Michigan and Tom Loy being a, a very good reporter as well with the Notre Dame side of things, they clearly have contacts, sources within those respective programs. And it appears that Sam Webb's sources within the program are saying that they haven't been told differently about what they had been told previously about a potential flip, while Tom Loy's sources within the Notre Dame program are telling him essentially the same thing, uh, just in favor of Notre Dame saying that, hey, we have no reason to be concerned that he will be flipping at this time. He visited us willingly for this big game against USC uh, this past weekend. And his, his father and family went along with him and he's been committed to the Irish for months now. So I, I think there is some confliction here as far as what the kid is saying and what the family is saying, what the kid's family is saying. I, I think at this point, if Amorian Walker is telling Sam Webb one thing and Tom Loy the complete other thing, in my mind, it, it may be either A, it could be a couple different things, and I don't want to speculate too much, but it, it could be he truly just doesn't have his mind made up yet, and he committed to Notre Dame a little too soon, which has happened before to recruits, and it's not a bad thing coming off like a, 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 a visit high uh, in, in committing too early. It happens. I'm not saying that's what happened. But if he committed too early and he's really kind of just evaluating things at this point, that's completely fine. Uh, kids flip flop all the time. And I totally understand why. So if that's the case, he's telling Sam Webb, oh, we had a great visit to Michigan. You know, we might come here and then he goes to Notre Dame. Oh, I had a great visit to Notre Dame. We're going to stick it out. It, it really, to me, at least makes it seem like he hasn't truly made up his mind yet. And he's just giving positive news to uh, whichever reporter is reaching out to him at that time, giving positive news to the program uh, that is reaching out to him at that time. So I, I think it, it really boils down to if it's not that his mind is made up yet, it's, it's something else that is holding him back. And I'm not entirely sure what it is. Like I said, I don't want to speculate too much. Um, but every kid's recruitment is certainly different. And kind of like what you had mentioned, recruiting is, <laughs> is a little weird. It's, it's very fluid all the time, uh, whether it's a five-star or a guy like a Maureen Walker, who is a, a three-star. I think he should be higher than that. Quite honestly, I think he's very talented and the speed that he brings at six, four, like you mentioned is, is not something that you can replace quickly. Uh, obviously they're going after guys like Dane key a wide receiver, four-star from the state of Kentucky, but it looks like uh, the University of Kentucky is in the lead there. And I, you, can, you don't really find many quick fixes for a guy like Amorian Walker if he sticks with that Notre Dame commitment. Now, kind of flipping it back to the Tayshawn Trent thing, I want to talk about that for just another minute, Stephen, because if Walker, even if he does end up flipping to Michigan, uh, the concerns that I have with Trent winding up elsewhere are still still going to be there. And at this point, they'd still only have two wide receiver commits in 22. They'd have Morris and they would have Walker if he flips. So the position 
of wide receiver would still be a need moving forward, but they could, I guess, get away with taking just two guys this season since you would probably anticipate Ronnie Bell will likely be back in Ann Arbor next season. But ideally, seems like they'd want to take three. If I were them, I would want to take three as well. But at the end of the day, if two is all you get uh, in this class, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I wanted to get your thoughts on all of that as well. Yeah, I think you're right on Ronnie Bell coming back. Um, I think a lot of us expected Cornelius Johnson to really uh, explode this year. I don't think that's really happened. So in terms of having a, a at least bigger bodied outside wide receiver, um, he's still around. Dalen Baldwin would still have another year of eligibility. Um, and then a lot of your other guys, right? Roman Wilson, uh, AJ Henning, um, and then a couple, a couple of young guys as well. And we saw Andrew Anthony against Northwestern. Uh, we haven't seen Dixon yet, but obviously he would be a guy to start getting some snaps next year. So that's a lot of names that I listed off. And there's probably a name or two as well that I didn't list that could contribute as well. I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, but that's a, that's a lot of returning production. Um, and really you're not, there's not a standout wide receiver you're losing. So it becomes a crowded room overall. Um, and I think you're right. Ideally, you would you would take three um, because with that crowded of a room, I would expect maybe someone moving on. You know, I don't like to speculate on those things, but uh, it's always possible. Um, I think wide receiver is a position where a red shirt really goes a long way, especially when for a guy like Tayshaun Trent, I think he, he does fit that mold where you could use a red shirt very easily with him um, just with the depth chart, what it would look like in 2022. Um, it would shift the recruiting for 2023 onward. If you take like only one or two guys, then I think that shifts the need for a more, uh, immediate impact type player for 2023 for sure. Right. Because I don't, I think Tyler Morris is a really solid player, uh, in the 2022 class, but I don't looking just at the overall list of commits and, again, the depth chart for next year, I don't see the need or um, the guy to really become that immediate true freshman starter. Um, And you could argue that by 2023, there could be a spot for that, right? And you can shoot for the stars then, uh, given you have a little bit more room. So um, I guess that's kind of like the overall projection. I think if you can hold on to a Tyler Morris and a Tayshaun Trent, I'd feel pretty good about that. Um, given just the positional um, variability, you know, Walker does have um, some flexibility on where he play. I think it's for sure wide receiver, but he is listed as an athlete and has um, some wiggle room on, uh, you know, where he can slot in as well. It's not as defined as a Tayshaun Trent or Tyler Morris projection at the next level, but, but I'm with you. I think two, two, you're fine with one. You would definitely need to add a second guy to that class um, three feels right, especially with the, uh, the athleticism of Walker. You just don't say no to that. Um, but yeah, I, I think if, if a Maureen Walker, if that's looking less and less likely, you kind of got to put a, a full court press on Tayshaun Trent, do everything you can just to hold on to that. Um, just to kind of keep that together. And again, just make things easier on you, uh, to close out the class. Can I just say something not recruiting related really quick as it, it, when it pertains to the wide receiver position? I, I think Andrew Anthony's the future number one guy. 
I yeah. really do. I, I think from, from the, the few plays that I've seen out of him this year, he's just got it, man. Like that play that I think it was this past Saturday when they gave him like the end around or whatever it was. And I, I thought it was going to go for like negative 20, but he ended up turning it upfield somehow and got some yards out of it. And that the deceptive speed um, out of him, I, I just really like him as a, a wide receiver. I think he's going to be a future stud. Yeah. Just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, that's something too. You saw Dalen Baldwin. He missed a uh, a key block down by the goal line that ended up with the fumble from Saner yeah. still. That's the name I was forgetting, Saner still. And um, that was a play where, you know, that opens the door for a young guy like Andrew Anthony. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. You got him and Christian Dixon, obviously the other true freshman who looks like he's probably going to be red shirted as well. Uh, he's definitely still got bodies there, but two, two wide receivers in this class, it wouldn't be the end of the world, but ideally you shoot for three. Uh, I think that's what they've been kind of going for this whole time. So uh, Steven, any other final thoughts before we move on? Nope. Let's keep going. Okay. Well, it, we are going to uh, take the quickest of breaks and we are going to talk about uh, another player who uh, it looked like may end up in Michigan's class now uh, kind of in doubt here. So we'll, we'll take a quick break. We'll talk about that on the other side. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by better help. We all carry around different stressors in life, whether they be big, small, or anywhere in between. And when we keep those bottled up, it can start to affect us in a negative way. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist. And if for some reason that therapist isn't working out for you, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get life's challenges off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Block M to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Block M. Hey, welcome back to Future Brew. Thanks for sticking around. We talked about Amorian Walker in our first segment. We're going to talk about another prospect uh, with the last name of Walker, and that is Dion Walker. He's the uh, four-star in-state defensive lineman. Uh, he visited Ann Arbor this past weekend for the Northwestern game, and while all of that was going on, uh, the 24-7 uh, Sports Kentucky beat reporter ended up putting a crystal ball in for Dion Walker to go to the University of Kentucky. So we've seen this happen before. I think this happened. I want to say earlier this season too. Um, can't remember if it was Joshua Josephs or somebody, but somebody was on campus and they got crystal balled for somewhere else. Uh, just funny when that stuff kind of happens, but uh, allegedly when uh, the reporter spoke with Walker on Friday evening, uh, he had told him that Kentucky is currently his leader uh, in his recruitment at this point. Back in July, he put out a top five of Michigan, Kentucky, Arizona State, Georgia, and Missouri. So they've certainly been firmly in the mix since then. Um, Steven, I'll just pass it right to you, man. Like, 
much like a Morian Walker, I think there is reason uh, for concern here. If you are a Michigan fan, he's been very open to the recruiting process this entire time and uh, has been very open about how much he has loved Michigan. But then the Mario Eugenio decommitment went down. He was very close with him, wanted to potentially team up with him at Michigan. And then Eugenio decommitted. And at that point, it kind of seems like uh, Deion Walker started to sour a little bit toward Michigan. Not saying that it's entirely what has gone wrong in this recruitment, but I I just got a gut feeling that it has a little something to do with it. So uh, in your opinion, Stephen, what do you think is going on here? And do you have any cause of concern uh, in this recruitment like we do with Amorian Walker? Yeah, I think whenever you have a connection with another commitment like you said with Eugenio there and then they go elsewhere I think we mentioned that was one of a concern where it's like what are they what are what's the communication between the two was it a thing of Eugenio just being like yeah it's just not a good fit I'm you know looking elsewhere but really like everyone at the staff or uh, was it something else right and if it's something else that usually is a little bit more negative in connotations and how much of that will resonate with uh, Dan Walker and, and you know, what does that relationship between those two players look like? And that requires a lot of speculation. I think add in another fact where Michigan did add a uh, commitment of Kenneth Grant, right? 6'4", 335 pound, three-star out of uh, Maryville, Indiana. And that's a guy, when you look at Dean Walker's size, right? He's 6'6", 350. There is some positional flexibility there. Dean Walker can play either offensive tackle or you know, at that size, you're going to be a nose tackle. Okay. There's not a whole lot of projection on the defensive side there at that size. So when you add a guy to Michigan's class um, that has the same size, kind of the same skill set as Kenneth Grant, that almost takes away a position. And it's not really a thing where if you're looking at a three tech or um, like a linebacker or a safety cornerback, it's really like the position nose tackle where there's not a whole lot of projection elsewhere. Now, it's not completely one-to-one, right? Because Kenneth Grant is for sure a nose tackle, and Deion Walker could play offensive tackle. A lot of scouts do like him at that position. Um, but it takes away kind of that, uh, that vision for what it looks like at Michigan, right? It takes away kind of one, one spot that he could have filled into the depth chart immediately. So that's something where what – like how much does that factor in as well as that relationship with Eugenio? Um, you know, it, it, this is one of those rare scenarios where you look at his profile and, and primary recruiter is both Steve Klinkscale and uh, Steve Klinkscale, whether you're at Kentucky when his recruitment uh, kind of started. And then uh, as Michigan obviously added Klinkscale to their staff uh, continued on the recruitment there. So uh yeah, this one's really intriguing to me. I think our kind of like initial um, worry about Eugenio and, and any potential um, communication there could have uh, some negative ramifications for Michigan. I think there's weight to that. Now, the fact that we've only seen one crystal ball um, move since that, since naming them the leader, does give me some pause, right? Because that's a thing where it's like, if, if he announces a leader, um, you would expect a lot of Michigan uh, insiders who have their crystal balls on him to go to the Wolverines 
to be checking their sources as well and saying, yeah, how legit is this? And then probably follow suit, right? That's what I would have expected over the past day since he named Kentucky the leader. We haven't seen that flip in all the other crystal balls. So that's really the only thing that keeps me, um, I wouldn't say skeptical, but um, maybe that this isn't like, you know, the end all be all here. There's still some time until December. It's not like this is, nope, Kentucky's my leader and I'm going to commit next week. This is a thing where there's still going to be some time. And this could also just be a thing where it's kind of a signal to Michigan, like, hey, I need to see a path now with, you know, a a guy um, with Kenneth Grant on the recruitment class here. Um, I need to see a, a better picture for where I fit in here. So it could be any one of these things, right? And how much weight do each of these hold? That's only something that Deion Walker and people in his camp know, but they're all things to consider. I would say that um, at this point, I probably still feel like Michigan has a better chance at Walker than, or it's funny because they're both Amorian and Walker Which and Deion one, Walker. Steven? <laughs> I, I should have just left it there yeah. and then I could just be right either way. But no, I yep. think Michigan has a better chance with Deion Walker. Uh, compared to Maureen Walker, of course, I, I do feel like that's a little easy to say because Maureen Walker is still committed to um, Notre Dame. But I, I don't think I would have said that, um, you know, two or three weeks ago. So I, I still I still think there's there's time here. And this isn't a, you know, I'm Kentucky all the way and there's nothing you can do. I think there's just additional work for Michigan to do here. And um, there's some things to smooth over that I think Michigan can do. Um, but it will be probably the guy to watch the closest over the next couple of weeks to see if there is any ground uh, that Michigan has made up in his recruitment. Yeah, they've been recruiting him for about two calendar years at this point. Now, you bring up the point of guys like Sam Webb and uh, Steve Lorenz and Bryce Marich, those guys who are actively on the Michigan beat for 24 seven, not having changed their crystal balls. Alan Triu, who's like the 24 seven, he's like the Midwest guy. He covers Michigan pretty extensively. I want to say he lives in the state of Michigan. So he's got sources in the state uh, along the uh, high school circuit. He actually uh, chimed in in one of these threads on uh, the message board saying that uh, he recently lowered his confidence and the fact that he told Uh, their Kentucky reporter that Kentucky was his leader uh, kind of just reinforces his lowering of his confidence at this point. It wasn't enough for him to flip it entirely, which obviously is good news because he still believes that at the end of the day, Michigan will be the school that ends up getting his uh, letter of intent uh, during the early signing period, which is when he intends to do that. He won't wait until February. He'll do it uh, in the next couple months here. So, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's still reason to be concerned. I mean, he mentions that Kentucky is his number one school right now, his leader um, uh, within his recruitment. So Michigan certainly does have work to do, but the fact that they had him on campus this weekend, uh, the, the season that they're having is obviously playing a factor with not only him, but a lot of the other prospects that they're going after in this 22 class and will have rippling effects moving forward uh in the 23 and other classes as well, but they they're still alive. They're, they're not completely dead. This recruitment isn't over just because he said that Kentucky is his current leader. Uh, There's, there's a lot of time left for Michigan to uh, uh, turn the tide here 
get them get them back on board with the Wolverines. And I guess if it is a big reason as far as the Eugenio thing goes, uh, hopefully they if they haven't already talked to him about it, hopefully they talk to him about it soon, because a guy at six, six, three fifty, um, you know, you can do a lot with that, whether it's on the offensive or defensive line. Um, Michigan is mainly uh, or mainly has been recruiting him to play on the defensive line. Kentucky, on the other hand, kind of sounds like they're open to having him play either spot, kind of a bring it in and figure it out later situation. Uh, so they're going to have to act fast on plan B because there really aren't a ton of other options at this point along the defensive line. Uh, Walter Nolan, that's all you really need to know. I'm not going to talk about him at all because uh, the chances of him are very slim, but Isaiah Hastings hasn't really been talked about a ton, but that's another guy that they've been recruiting for a while. And then uh, the most recent one being the Juco defensive tackle, Jeffrey Mba uh, from uh, Independence Community College in Kansas. Um, uh, that is certainly a very real option. He'll be visiting for the Ohio state game. So there are a couple other options along the defensive line. If something were to happen to Walker, obviously you don't want anything to happen, uh, to Walker, but certainly a good prospect. And, uh, they've got other options here, Steven. Uh, but at the end of the day, I feel like Walker has been kind of one of those very, very top targets for Michigan throughout this entire recruiting class. They sent him an offer at the pretty much the very beginning of uh, 2020. So they've been going after him for quite a while at this point. So he, if they miss on him, it would certainly a big, uh, be a big loss, but they they've got plan B they've got plan C uh, they've got other guys um, kind of on hold at this point. So uh, we'll certainly keep you all posted on what happens here, but I, I wanted to ask you one more question, Steven, and we'll wrap up because uh, one thing that I was thinking of earlier as I was kind of preparing for this podcast here is uh, Michigan's approach to recruiting, uh, especially with these top in-state kids uh, like Deion Walker, who they uh, have been recruiting for quite some time now. A, a school, let's 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 say let's bring up Ohio State because they do this. Ohio State pushes for kids to commit and more often than than not. Uh, they get those kids to commit. Uh, when they approach it in that sense of, hey, you know, we're not going to have a ton of spots open for you. We need you to commit like right now or tomorrow or your spot may not be open. Um, so often over the last few cycles, especially um, Michigan has kind of swung and missed on guys who they take a little bit more of a conservative approach with and they get burned for that. Um, now, on the other hand, it hasn't always completely uh, kicked him in the rear, a recruitment where Michigan's softer approach worked with. Uh, you can bring up five-star safety Daxton Hill, where they flipped him back to Michigan from Alabama because, um, quite honestly, they just kept it real with him throughout the entire process, told him that they wanted him to succeed wherever he went, made him feel comfortable with that approach, and ended up working out in Michigan's favor at the end of the day. But that's one of the very few rare instances where that conservative approach actually worked with a very highly ranked kid and uh, Dax Hill is kind of a unicorn in that sense. So how do you think they should go about doing this moving forward? Because I think that if they ended up doing something like what Ohio state does with Deion Walker and said, Hey, we need you to commit like right now, I think he would have been committed months ago. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that uh, as we wrap up the pod today, Steven. I do think there's something to that where if you push a guy to commit 
you'll find some some recruits that works with where it's like listen we want you to recruit now we want to solidify this class um and you know if there's a time to commit it's now or never not you know not in such crude language but essentially that's kind of the messaging i don't think you can do that unless you're in alabama ohio state maybe georgia and those are classes year over year that are ranked top three nationally and the reason I say that, because Michigan hovers around top 10, top 15 in that range each year, there's a big difference between those classes where Alabama, Ohio State, if they push for one of those on, you know, a, a four star, say a top 200 guy and, and they don't get that commitment, they can very easily go to another top 200 guy. And that offer holds, I just think, a lot more weight when you're constantly winning championships, constantly in the playoff. I just think there's a different weight to that offer. And um, because of how quick I think Ohio State figures out who's going to be a player for them and who's not, um, they have the ability to do that. Where if you miss on one of those guys, right, where you, you push a little bit, they commit, and then um, it doesn't turn out to be a good fit, right? Because that's something, if you don't have a longer recruitment, you may not be able to judge how well will this player fit in my program. Um, and that, I think that's just an inherent risk of doing that approach. When you're going with that strategy, you're going more strictly based off of this athlete is going to fit my system and we want you number one. And then if not, okay, we'll go to the second guy on this list that we think will fill this slot. Um, I think it's a little bit less of a like human approach. Honestly, I think it's more of a, uh, like a business decision. Listen, we have this contract, this contract expires in two weeks, make your decision, right? Kind of a business transaction there. And because, you know, if you're thinking of Ohio state as like a, you know, say they're like Amazon or Google as a, you know, software developer, they're hiring a software developer. They can go and get a super, super talented software developer. They have the, you know, in this case, money, if you're Google or whatever, they have the, the pedigree to go after that and um, find that talent that will fill those gaps extremely well, extremely quickly. And you know what, if it doesn't turn out to be a good cultural fit down the line, guess what, we have this, you know, this next class of, of guys coming next year that will likely be able to fill those gaps. So when you're placing talent with uh, another top three class year over year, you can, you can make those quicker, more transactional decisions without taking into account like the cultural fit. How are they going to feel? Uh, what's the transfer risk on this player? And those are just things that you just don't have time to figure out with that sort of approach. So I think, I think it, there's a lot of ways that Michigan can approach it, but I think like the more human way is, listen, is this going to be a successful spot for you? Is this going to be a, a place that you are going to enjoy yourself and enjoy being on this team? Are you going to fit with the current roster? Like, are, are you a good cultural fit? Are you a good academic fit? So a lot of those things, I think, take more time. And over the course of a recruitment, you figure out more about what that fit looks like. And it gives you time to possibly cool on a recruitment, you know, just saying, hey, this isn't a good fit anymore. We're exploring other options. It gives you more time to answer those questions um, when you take a more measured approach there. Um, 
So honestly, I, I'm obviously biased in which way I think is a better way. I think for the recruit, it, it benefits them if a program is less pushy, obviously. The more time you have to, um, to make your decision, um, if you know, you're, the school that is really pushing you allows you to take visits to other schools, that's better for the recruit overall. Um, so honestly, I think it just comes down to is your approach to recruiting more on a transactional basis of you will come here to be a really high flyer player to me, or is it more, will you be a good fit for this program, this university, this group of people, rather than just a talent aspect? So I, I think I'm, I, it's a more gray area than what I'm putting it. I don't think Ohio State is, you know, completely going for just robots and, and trying to ensure that they, you know, they take talent without taking into consideration academics and all of that. I think there's more gray area than what I'm kind of describing here. But I do think there's some truth in that, in that um, by Michigan's approach, they're giving more power to the recruit in the recruitment overall. And um, I think in the long run, you're going to have players that are more willing to stick around for, for the long run because you are uh, approaching it more from uh, different facets of um, are you good cultural fit, academics, just program, um, location, things like that, you're giving the recruit more time to make a more educated decision rather than pushing them to rush into it. So that's kind of my long-winded way of saying that, um, you know, if Michigan wants to go full football factory, I'll probably change my tune, <laughs> but I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to happen. And um, overall, I do think it benefits the recruits to, to give them more power in the recruitment and being a little bit more laid back and less pushy uh, does give the recruit a little bit more power to make that educated decision. Yeah, it's certainly a very interesting topic of debate because it's there's no right or wrong answer here, honestly. I mean, it, it's just how the football teams, how the programs, how the coaches end up wanting to approach uh, recruiting kids at the end of the day. I mean, we've seen it with Ohio State and how it's certainly different compared to what Michigan has done since Jim Harbaugh has been back in Ann Arbor since 2015. So yeah, there's, there's no right or wrong way to do it, but I, I would certainly lean more toward um, giving the kids that freedom as well. But I think there is an argument to be made that perhaps they shouldn't be as soft on it as they have been. I think lightening up a little bit into, you know, kind of nudging at them a little bit more often than what they have been, um, might have maybe led Dion Walker to committing a little earlier um, and, instead of letting his process drag out and uh, seemingly naming Kentucky his current leader of his recruitment. So it, it certainly is interesting. There's no right or wrong answer by any means, but yeah, I, I definitely appreciate the uh, conversation because I, I think it's certainly something that doesn't get talked about uh, enough and it's uh, something that, uh, should be in consideration for uh, just recruiting moving forward for sure. So, yeah, I, I think that's all we got today. And uh, Stephen, I'll, I'll turn it back over to you one final time, because uh, as, as probably none of you know, uh, this is Stephen's final actual podcast here with uh, Mason Brew. He is uh, going on to uh, uh, greater and better things with his uh, career in uh, the uh, Michigan media and uh, I want to wish him nothing but the best because he's been an absolute pleasure to work with and a, a total 
total stud when it comes to growing the YouTube channel and and keeping these podcasts alive and just all the uh, video and audio content that he has provided really uh, uh, doing a a phenomenal job with everything. So I wanted to thank you for everything you've done, Stephen. And uh, the floor is yours for one final time. Yeah, man. It's, uh, you know, at a loss of words to start this just because, you know, it feels like it's been a while, but it really hasn't been too long. And uh, when I was first brought on to this podcast um, with Yvonne and John as well, uh, you guys ran a great show. And I was, you know, a little nervous about kind of feeling I was going to crash the party and you guys made me feel uh, extremely welcome. So a lot of gratitude um, towards both you and John for um, not only making it a very comfortable and fun show to, to be a part of, but, um, you know, doing a lot of the heavy lifting as well. Um, and there's a lot of work behind the scenes. I'm putting together a lot of the talking points, a lot of the names that, you know, I need to do research on and, and, um, driving a lot of that discussion, um, takes a lot more work, um, than, uh, some people realize. So, so yeah, I'm extremely grateful for my time here at Maze and Brew. I'll have a video out, um, thanking people more properly than I can <laughs> on a podcast, but, um, but yeah, you, uh, I mean, Vaughn overall has made my, my life uh, very easy on this podcast and has helped a lot with um, kind of bringing me onto the Maze and Brew team. And that's, that's something that uh, I'm extremely grateful for. And, uh, you know, I'll miss, I'll miss moving forward. You know, these sort of relationships and, and people you form bonds with along the way in this sort of space are, uh, it makes it hard to leave. Um, and, you know, I'm excited about next opportunity. I'll have announcements on that next week, but um, for now, I'm just going to be, you know, doing a little, a little lap of gratitude because uh, everyone here at Mason Brew has been nothing but the best to me. And, uh, you know, again, can't thank you enough for the welcoming feeling and, and um, really helping me grow, I think, in this space. I think there's, I can point back to the first podcast and point to this one and just the level, level of comfortability and uh, growth I've had. I think a, a lot of that is, is thanks to you. So so yeah, this is a uh, goodbye for now and uh, hello soon elsewhere. But um, appreciate everyone who listened and supported the podcast. Um, you know, nothing but positive things to say um, uh, about people here, Amazing Brew, Vaughn, and the listeners and community overall. So see you soon. But yeah, man, um, thanks a lot. I you know, I'll, n- no words that I can say will will be enough. But um, you know, I know we'll, our, our paths will cross eventually down the line. I'm pretty confident about that. Yeah. There's, there's no question about that, man. And I, I recall the, the news when, when, when Anthony had texted me and said that we got you on board and I, I was doing like Tiger Woods fist pumps in my room, <laughs> like, Oh hell yeah. We got Steven Osentoski. Oh my God. I can't <laughs> believe we're bringing him on board. I, I was, I, I'm not kidding you. I, I was so ecstatic that we got you on the team and, and to do all of the content that you've done um, over the X amount of time that you've been here. I don't even know. Like you said, it really doesn't seem like it's been super long um, as so forgive me for not knowing exactly how long you've been here. It's like 16 months or so. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a hot minute, but doesn't really feel like that long. But I, I just remember when Anthony had, had messaged me saying that, you know, like, ladies and gentlemen, we got them. And I was like, oh my God, thank you, Jesus almighty. 
<laughs> I was I was pumped, man, and uh, I'm certainly uh, I, I I feel the same sentiment for your future opportunity because you absolutely deserve it, and you've been nothing but the best here, man. And uh, you know, I I wish you nothing but the best moving forward. So thank um, you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for all you've done, and uh, thank you, listeners, for tuning in uh, as always. And uh, well, the podcast will be a little different moving forward without Stephen, and John will be back at some point in the near future, probably sometime in December. Hoping to get him back, certainly for the uh, early signing period, but I'll have uh, got some interviews lined up, so it it won't just be me. So you you won't have to. Uh, uh, listen to my voice, uh, only my voice. You'll, you'll have some other ones on here. So stay tuned for all of those interviews that we've got coming up here. Uh, very excited for those. Uh, but until then, you can follow me on Twitter at Vaughn underscore Lozon. And Stephen, where are you at, my friend? At Stephen Toski. Give Mason Brew a follow and like Twitter, Facebook. Instagram, uh, you know where we're at. You go follow us on all of those platforms. Five-star reviews on all our podcasts would certainly be appreciated. And uh, go take a look at uh, the YouTube channel uh, because Stephen's face, uh, you will see probably one or two more times before he departs. So uh, enjoy that while it lasts. So for Stephen Hasentoski, I'm Vaughn Lozon. Thank you for joining us as always. Go Blue.